So I, I think a lot of the attacks on you have been about your connections in Zimbabwe. So I read all the Amambogane pieces on you. So Amambogane, for those who don't know, is a investigative news website that is funded largely by sort of American and British money for the most part. And they want to sort of deepen democracy and have transparency and all of that stuff, which is great and wonderful on paper. But based on the articles they wrote about you, there doesn't seem to be a sort of smoking gun. A lot of, lot of speculations, a lot of assertions. Why is it you think Amogane is sort of obsessed with you? Because as far as I know, you haven't been found guilty of any crime. You haven't gone to jail, uh, except for that thing in Interpol that was sorted out. But largely, based on what I could find out about you, you're just a businessman in Zimbabwe. We will talk about that in later on in this interview. But why does Amogane have you in their sights? Look, I think the Sam Soul guy... Uh, he's really obsessed with me. You know, I refer to him in my social media as Joe from that movie, you know, he's behaving badly and, you know, the guy that cuts people up and behaves stupid. He, he unfortunately, did an alliance with the Sentry. I must tell you, the Sentry, although they write articles and they do reports and so on, they were quite uh, gentleman-like reporters because they wrote a fair story, in my opinion. They have an opinion and they're entitled to their opinion, and everyone is. But they were fearing that they gave across my views at the same time. They couldn't come into South Africa and behave badly because obviously they thought it would be easier to have an alliance with someone like Amabungane, which they have. So this started off with an employee working for us as an attorney while I was the CEO and chairman of Mochi Group still. And the attorney stole the entire, I don't know, whatever they call it, hard drive or uh, what do they call it, our information. Um, I don't know what's the term, forgive me. It just slips my mind momentarily. The hard, well, I don't know if it's hard drive, but they stole all of our information that was uh, on, on the computers. And um, he went and disseminated it and called himself a whistleblower. And whistleblowers don't do that. And I'm coming to the start to explain to you the relevance of how this stands up. So he calls himself a whistleblower because we had an issue with one of our, uh, one of our partners. He, he was a minority shareholder in a business. And this gentleman's name was Friki Lutsky, quite a notorious character. And he had an interest in one of the mining operations. And this gentleman who worked for us stole the information and passed it over to this business colleague, our partner. The partner, and as well as this uh, ex-employee, went and disseminated the information to the sentry, uh, who eventually, from what I understand, gave it to Amabungane. And then they start this witch hunt around all of these issues. Now, there's been a widely publicized center report on all the allegations. And let's be frank, and you're correct, quite correct. They've been throwing shit at the wall. Excuse my pun now. Or excuse my, my bad language. But they've been throwing shit at the wall and nothing's been sticking for some time. And nothing will stick because, truly speaking, we've done nothing wrong. We're businessmen. We're going to a new country. We're looking for good opportunities. And we'll get to explaining Zimbabwe. But sooner or later, they wrote in the article, Amabugani emerges and sends us questions. And in four days, you must just stop doing whatever it is you're doing and then you must answer to them. Like they, the principal of the school. And we played along with this thing and we answered some questions. But the problem with them is they don't write fairly and they have a certain narrative. You'll see when they write you questions, at the end, they already have a conclusion. So one needs to ask yourself, is the Audi Alterem Partem principle existing in those type of media operators? Because if you come to a conclusion without having my version, then what is the value of my version? And 
as soon as that started to happen, we realized they were taking out of context things. They were in possession of documents they shouldn't have been in possession of, stolen documents. We were upset. We tried to arrest this particular gentleman that stole the information from us. He was trying to skip the bloody country. He was not a whistleblower, this character. If he was, he would have gone to the authorities and there's law that provides for him to be protected. We never threatened this guy. We never, he just disappeared one day, literally with the information. And the next thing we see our information floating all over the place. We informed the sentry they're in possession of stolen stuff. We informed Amar Mugani that they were dealing with stolen information. But notwithstanding, we said, send us the documents you want us to comment on. So first we can authenticate that they're genuine. And number two, we can look at it out of the context of what you're trying to ask us a question. So they, in a document of five pages, they'll send you two lines and they'll say, comment on this. It's, how do you comment on something like that? You need to have the document, read it, look at it in the context, and then reply. And we tried to do that a few times with them. They started writing these crazy articles and the aim was to defame us simply because of our involvement in Zimbabwe. And they pushed the Zimbabwe element all the time, you're too close to the government, you're too close to the president, you you may have bribed the president, what do you have to say about this? All of those type of things em emerged and we answered all the questions eloquently. Did you commit possible money laundering? We said, show us what we've done wrong. You have all the documents. Not just prove whatever you're saying. And until now, in fact, they haven't been able to prove anything. We went to court, we went ex parte to court, to try and get our documents back and stop them. We said that they were uh, part of the crime. In other words, they were, uh, they were, you know, theft is an ongoing crime, as you well know. So if someone steals something from you and passes it on to a third party and they have knowledge of it, then they're complicit in the crime. So they said so they- I've got to ask you, sorry mate. Yeah. So I've got to ask no. you, clearly if, we have experience with this with obviously with the media and we know that this yep. occurs like they'll take any statement you say they'll twist it it will yep. get misquoted and out of will go in the public we know that but it's usually for a specific agenda so obviously they're quoting and you're doing what you're doing because they're clearly trying to do something now they're claiming you too close to the zimbabwean president and they're looking at your business relationships what's the desired outcome what are they after? So if they get the way that, if they get what they want, what is that? You and I both know the answer to that question. I think the narrative is a paid narrative for guys like Amar Bungane. Uh, and we'll get into the, these spin-offs of who they work with, guys like Daily Maverick, which is the same bunch of guys, underdog or overdog or something like that is one of them. I don't remember their name now, forgive me. And, and interestingly enough, their stories are spinned by News24. So you'll notice they write an article, but they don't have a they don't have a voice, and nobody listens to their rubbish. These Amabugani guys, but the moment they spin it off to News Twenty Four, now they have a wide bunch of people reading it. But I think the narrative is, as as you've correctly pointed out, is what's the end game? The end game is to make sure that people understand that Zimbabwe is a place that is corrupt and operating in a very corrupt way. That people have the ability to buy, um, uh, how can I say? power in the country, that they have the ability to do wrong things and pay them, uh, what do they call it, politicians and so on. But I think the narrative is the fact that there is someone paying this narrative and we don't know who that is. We have our suspicions as to who it is. We understand 
who some of the uh, funders of Amabugane are, and we've written to the funders of Amabugane and said, please state what is your intentions. Why do you fund these people? And no responses until now. So I do think the narrative is started off with wanting to defame Zimbabwe coming with the elections. The West putting a lot of pressure on Zimbabwe so that there's a regime change. I think those type of medias are there in order to control the narrative for Zimbabwe so they lose the election, or even if they won the election, it looks like it was a rigged election, is my personal view. So I think that is the narrative that they're trying to put out there. And because I've been someone who's been able to answer all the questions and quite stubborn around um, the fact that we've done nothing wrong, I've now become collateral damage and up on the radar now. They're saying, who is this guy? Let's deal with him. Throw the sink at him. Write anything about him. And so, as I said, we I don't know if I've answered your question, Byron, you know, um, well, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting idea because obviously if we look at forms of corruption, we know that the Biden administration in the US has given untold amounts of money to what was prior to the Russian-Ukrainian conflict deemed to be the most corrupt state in Europe, de facto fact. And obviously the uh, Biden administration has a son who is married to a South African woman, as I'm sure you know. And uh, he's obviously on record as being a uh, crack cocaine up individual who enjoys hookers and various other things in Zimbabwe that would be national news in America it's like mm, yeah but it's, it's so we we know that this is a reality that the question that I suppose I really have is why Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe is a notoriously little known place in Africa that nobody really cares about it's not on the lips the minds and hearts of the western nations nobody thinks Ah, Zimbabwe, we need to go there. What's interesting, and the reason that becomes interesting, is that South Africa is on the hearts and lips of Western nations. But our sources tell us that in many instances, they would rather do business in Zimbabwe than in South Africa, because in some instances, not all, but in some instances, Zimbabwe is more business-friendly than South Africa, which actually, when we hear it and we listen to what they tell us, blows our minds, because like everybody else, we only know Zimbabwe from what we read in the press. Mm -hmm. I still have to ask the fundamental question: What's the end goal? Why, Why are they doing so, this? Let me let me let me explain that. Zimbabwe is a beautiful country to do a business in. I think with the new government, the Managawa regime and the Chiwenga regime, you find that they're open for business in two sense. You get there, you speak to ministers, you speak to the government, you engage them about the ideas you have, and they are um, amenable to listening to you. Number one, number two. They're amenable to creating the platform for you to do business and do the extraction of materials and selling them, etc. Uh, but I think to answer your question, why Zimbabwe? It's not only that nowadays the bureaucracy is less in Zimbabwe to do business in South Africa. That's a fact in my opinion. But it's a, it's a bigger thing. Zimbabwe has more metals and richer in metals in South Africa in many categories. The lithium that has been discovered, and we're in the business of lithium as well, the South African operation, we have a 10,000 hectare reserve. The lithium is the future for, I don't know how long, but for energy for some time. You see Tesla and what they're doing and all those electrical vehicles and so on. Zimbabwe is very rich in lithium and one of the only Southern African countries to be in lithium. They have gold, but they've also discovered gas and oil, which has been sort of kept under the radar. Now, you know the story about the West, and as soon as they discover the black gold, what happens in those countries. I think lithium is no exception to that. I think um, 
Elon Musk has, has sent some of his people to uh, Zimbabwe to look at issues uh, around lithium. The Chinese have uh, penetrated Zimbabwe very fast around the lithium. Uh, I haven't seen many Russian companies do that, but I've seen a lot of Chinese companies come in and do huge amount of deals, start, starting to extract these materials. And, and you find that China is becoming the host for preparation of lithium oxide or lithium concentrates. And if you ask me, my personal view is that the West have lost the war on trying to corner the lithium reserves. Zimbabwe's got massive lithium reserves. So that could be one of the financial reasons as to why all of this is happening. And it, it makes sense that the West put Zimbabwe under administration, you know, so that they have access to these materials. I don't know. Uh, but to me, it seems like there is an agenda. They would like to see a change of government. Uh, the opposition party that's uh, in the process of running with the elections at the moment are people that I believe are well supported by the West. Uh, there is a sort of approach towards the Man Manangagwa regime that they are no good, that they are very much um, uh, criminals. However, it's not true. I'm on the ground. I see what's happening. I've seen my business grow in Zimbabwe phenomenally. Uh, I've seen the returns being double-digit dollar returns. I've seen the country as a uh, as an economy grow massively. I've seen a new airport established. The roads and infrastructure have been redeveloped. Education's on the up in terms of schools. I've seen that the mining industry is growing at 340% per annum in Zimbabwe. So look, Zimbabwe is a great opportunity right now. Unfortunately, a lot of people have been pushed away and the narrative is don't go to Zimbabwe by the, by the Western medias, by the British media and so on. But you find that the East are climbing in lock, stock, and barrel, and so are the Middle East. Um, and and the, with this new sort of BRICS regime, I think that the West are a little bit late, if you ask me for Zimbabwe. And we discussed it two nights ago. You know. We actually agree with you generally on Africa. I, I think the West is very late on Africa. So, for example, I've got contacts uh, across Africa. Like, for example, in, in, in Mali or Chad or places like that, the French used to have two, three, four hundred soldiers. And then they used to sort of not control the country. There was elections and all the rest of that. But these, the French influence was very minimal just to protect the infrastructure for the extraction of, of resources from that particular country. Now you've got the Russian Wagner group coming in. There's 4,000 soldiers of the Russians. There's no hope in how the French are going to put 4,000 boots on the ground of their own special forces to fight Wagner in Mali for resources. The French influence on Africa has dramatically decreased across all of French Africa. They're almost nowhere to be found anymore. And the Russians have come in and taken over and are fighting the enemies of the state, especially in Mali and Chad, where they're fighting Islamic insurgents and terrorists. And you find that those countries are actually enjoying the fact that there's a little bit of peace and quiet and order. And now they can actually try to run the country in a material way. Mm. But Zinaid, Everything you have said might be true. America might be looking at lithium as a strategic material. They need Manakwanda, uh, sorry, I don't know. His name is very difficult, but they need the Zimbabwe president out so they can put someone more amenable to them in. But that doesn't distract from the fact that Amugani really has a problem with your relationship with the president of Zimbabwe. What is your relationship with him? You know, my relationship started off as... Uh... Uh, in in the area called the Midlands, near Kwekwe. I my first investment in Zimbabwe was African Chrome Fields, which is Chrome Venture. Uh, I don't know he was a government 
He was involved in government in 2015. He wasn't a, a vice president, etc. He was just a, a minister. He introduced us to the country. It is his province that he was in charge of. And that's how I met him. And the first investment I made was pretty much uh, based on the comforts I got out of him as a person in Zimbabwe who showed me that there's an opportunity in Prepper. And along the way, he became my friend. He's a wonderful human being. I do like him. I have no problem in saying he's my friend. Uh, and uh, Mr. Chiwenga, too, is a wonderful human being, Honorable Chiwenga, and became my friend. But in the process, I complicated my life in Zimbabwe because the moment he became acquainted to me and we had a friendship, I had to fill in so many more documents, do so many hoops to jump through to get my own things sorted out in Zimbabwe. It almost worked the opposite, if I could call it that. Now, because I knew these people, every time I requested something, it needed to go to the ministry, it needed to follow the process. And because these people were nice people and we were friendly with one another, and when I say friendly, we had dinner, we chatted, we exchanged ideas, etc. We spoke about the great Zimbabwe coming in the future and how we change things, how we could be involved in the development of infrastructure and so on. And while all of that was happening, Mugabe was giving me the third degree about everything, so much so that just before the change of government, as an example, in 2017, my business would have to apply for an export permit on a monthly basis. I make a $240 million investment and every month they say, come and talk to us. And if you smile nicely with us and you show us good paperwork and we're still happy with you, you can export for the next 30 days. It was becoming very difficult and eventually I was asked to leave Zimbabwe under Mugabe's regime and told, told to leave my assets behind. So when people say that I'm close to these people, shouldn't these people, if there was anything inappropriate, have said no? What you don't leave, don't lose all of your money, don't go away. Instead, I was put in a position where I had to almost ice my investments out, put them on care and maintenance. And thank God there was this new independence that arrived. And even with the new independence, it's become so difficult. Because sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes. I think people will will call us out if we don't ask you this. Life was developed yeah. under Mr. Mugabe. Life is easier yeah. under the new president, I do apologize, Mr. Emerson, I can't say his surname. You and can it's... call him E.D., I think. E.D. is how they refer to E.D. That's how I call him E.D. Yeah. Oh, so you say life is better with E.D. in charge. Mm. Um, if anyone in the public says this businessman is very good friends with the president of this particular country and has a lot of business in that particular country, you can you can see the inferences that will be made. I'm not saying... I'm not saying otherwise, but I'm sure you can see the influence. No, no, I can understand what you're saying. In the public sphere. Of course. Look, from a public perception, I'm friendly with the president. Uh, and when I say I'm friendly, I don't see him weekly or monthly. But we know each other and we contribute to turning Zimbabwe into a better place. But to hit and answer your question on the nail, it is a correct question to ask. Because anyone says the guy's friendly with the president, Maybe the president is doing him favors. Maybe that's why Zimbabwe is so good for him. And the answer is no. And I've proven that to the sentry. I've given them all the documentation I had to submit after this new independence came to get an export permit. Now, let me tell you, in 2018, this new dispensation of the new independence came into being with Emerson Managagua and his cabinet. Do you know when I got my export permit for Chrome? 
at the end of last year. Now you tell me, if I'm friendly with the bloody president, why would he take three and a half years to give me a bloody export permit, mate? Shouldn't that just happen? If there was some madness in the relationship, if there was some undue influence, then I should get the stuff for goodness sake. I've been sitting at home. Yeah, great. I'm going to ask the logical question. The other is, okay, look, let's assume we're playing devil's advocate because that's what we do, right? Okay, so we're playing devil's advocate. Sure. You've got the best relationship with the president and he gets you an export permit tomorrow morning. Yeah. I've got to ask the question, who cares? What? What's? There's no story there. No. Right, so, what's, so so who cares? Like, so now what? What does that mean? Yeah. Okay, Look, you've got to the top of power quicker. But why is that a problem? What, what, what's, what's the story? I don't get it. So when the new dispensation came in, I'll explain that to you. They decided that it would be better for us to manufacture chromium products, as an example, and not export them, but support local markets and local industry. In other words, the Chinese had come into Zimbabwe and they put up smelters and they said, now you must not export your product, but send it to local industry. That was a three and a half year fight with the government, the MMCZ, the Ministry of Mines to say, guys, it's anti-competitive. We should be allowed to export our product. And this was the challenge. Now we fought this challenge like gentlemen, we never went to court. It was always in negotiations and we supported the local industry until we reached a point where they were paying us far lower than the international market price on our product. And Zimbabwe, the Zimbabweans applied their minds and they said, okay, it makes sense. But it took three years. But it doesn't mean it wasn't profitable. It just means we made less profit. But no other person was in a position to export the product. And Zimbabweans' policy with the new regime has been first process all the products and add value to them before you send it out. Now that requires you to go into not just mining, man. It requires you to go into processing, uh, reduction of raw material to final product, a lot more capex. So I developed something else in the process. I adapted. I developed a technology called alumothermic for Zimbabwe, which doesn't use electricity to do the reduction of oxides into metals. And we built the factory. In fact, it took me seven years to build a bloody factory, to be quite honest, Byron. And the factory is finished a month ago. And in the next 90 days, it'll open up and produce a couple of thousand tons a month. So, Zunaid, if PF loses this election on yep. August 23rd, yep. do you have any concerns about your business interests there? I don't believe that we've been favoured in any way and any new political party in the unlikely event that they are coming in because I do see the support of the people on the ground. I do believe we'll conduct a due diligence as to whether we received any preferential treatment. Because that's what's at stake here. They'll say, because you knew the president, because you were so-called friendly with him, did you receive anything someone else wouldn't have or you shouldn't have? And after they do the due diligence, it will be very easy. It's quite clear we employed 2,000 people directly and maybe another 2,000 people indirectly. We're adding value to the fiscus, the community, the people, etc. It doesn't matter to me, to be quite honest, who comes in if they come in, because I'm quite clear that we, we, we have a clear bill of health insofar as we did not get anything that we should not have or we did not get a favor from government or we didn't get the president to sign my export permit off or not. We followed due process. In fact, we've been just bloody patient and we've been lucky because had the chrome price dropped to a level where it became unsustainable, the model we have would have been unprofitable. 
we were lucky at the same time. The war came, lots of additional other factors creep into this particular increase in price of the chromium. And Zimbabwe is a home to the best chromium quality ore as a concentrate in the world other than, uh, I think, Kazakhstan being in line with Zimbabwe. So, so that's held us in good esteem. Um, the, the difficulty we have at the moment is that there is this perception that we've been treated fairly or more than fairly. And I can't just bloody see what it is. Um, ask them, well, please. You don't understand the... what the point of that is. Like, who, who cares? Yes. You know, if yeah. you've got, if it's like, if you've got the best relationship with Ramaphosa, who cares? Because that's your relationship. That's his relationship. Yep. That doesn't affect the way he runs a country. If you've got a great relationship, great. If you got your permit a little bit faster in the home office, but who cares? Like, what's, who cares? You would have got it anyway. No, I, Byron, don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. In South Africa, I, and I think, let me answer it like that to you. When the president's in his position and he's acting as president, he has to do what's in the interest of everybody, not just his friends. Remember that. So I'm sure, as an example, the South African president has relationship and friendly with lots of people. He's a normal person. He's allowed to have a life. He's allowed to have friends. Absolutely. And if they're not, if they're not breaking the law and they're adding value to the country and both parties are happy, then there's no issue, isn't there? Now, nobody talks about that, isn't it? We know that the Stellenbosch people, and I don't want to mention names because I don't want to be in an invidious position tomorrow to find myself in that position here in, in Cape Town. The issue is that I'm sure that they're talking to parliamentary people. I'm sure they're talking to head of state. I'm sure they're talking to various people negotiating transactions and getting their inputs. Now, is there something wrong with that? Are they breaking the law to do that? Well, that that's in America, that's called lobbying. And it's yeah. a very, very, very expensive industry. Lobbying occurs all the time. Just so yeah. happens that in South Africa, we do lobbying through people as opposed to groups. But we still do it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a fact. In fact, we've come out very frequently on our show lately against foreign-funded NGOs. And lots yeah. of people are like, well, why? What's the problem? It's freedom of speech. No, it's not. Yeah. Because they are foreign-funded entities who are basically lobbying the government for a specific outcome. It's it's a, it's a Western thing. It happens all the time. I still don't get what, what the purpose of it is. I mean, obviously, they're writing hit pieces against you. So what are they wanting? Well, they're wanting you to get your banks frozen because we've seen that in the UK, right? I mean, the minute you become a politically exposed person, you lose your bank account and you can't yes. trade. They almost ban you from yes. SWIP. Sure. Or are they trying to get your your business compromised in Zimbabwe by getting the export permits cancelled because of bad press? Like, I don't get it. I don't get what what's the end goal. What do they want? Let me, let me tell you. Your, your business isn't going to collapse the, the presidency, is it? Like, you know, I'm sure your business is very important, but it's not going to sink the presidency. So what, what's, what's the desired outcome here? Look, I think they had a hunch with this informant, or if I can call him a non-whistleblower, that we did lots of wrong things. When they started to come with these accusations and things, and they were not stacking up and our explanations were quite good, they got annoyed. So they started looking for all sorts of stuff that don't make any sense. So they went for the, you too close to Zimbabwe. Then they went for the Investec discussion. Investec had a good luck because we have a good relationship. We've never done anything wrong. I owed them eight to 10 billion at some stage. I settled the money. I didn't run away from the obligations. It's fine. It was difficult because it was a little bit of a number, you know, but we resolved the matter amicably. We didn't do anything odd with them. They're a bank. They report internationally. Nothing happened of that. They tried to create the impression to the public that we had an undue influence in those negotiations. It wasn't the truth. Investec has spoken on those issues. They now went to something else. And 
In 2021, my CEO, whom I knew for about 26 years, there were complaints about him around sexual harassment. And within two or three days, I think it was, we finished our relationship off and parted our ways amicably because there was no evidence against him that he'd done any wrong. But if there's a 1% chance that someone makes an allegation and I feel that there's a 1% chance they're possibly right, I always give someone the benefit, especially when it's women. Uh, there's a lot of gender-based violence and so on. And I resolved it like a gentleman within days. But where I caught Amabugane out just the day when we went to court is that their chairman was a sexual predator or is a sexual predator. And it went out live in the media on the day just before our matter was heard in court. And I'm not saying I had anything to do with that, but it was fortuitous that it happened. And, and I climbed onto it and I said, hey, what's going on here? This guy's been your chairman. By the way, he's a Zimbabwean guy. He's a professor. And he used to go around and literally put apples on the tables of young girls at the universities, suggesting that they should come and see him afterwards. That's ridiculous when I read this. And I was annoyed and I asked Sam Sol many times in the meeting and others, please explain, why is this guy still working for you? Why have you not given an explanation to the public around your dirty behavior? And why haven't you investigated it? So much so that News24 had to say, that Sam Saul's chairman is a sexual predator. An hour later, he resigns, but no report on the guy. And now he goes through all of my documents as an example, and he says, ah, but you in your company had the same thing. I said, no, my friend. When this came to my knowledge in a couple of days, I dealt with this issue and I dealt with the person. He wasn't guilty, but I felt uncomfortable myself, even though I knew him for a long time. I allowed the benefit of the doubt and I got rid of everyone concerned. You, on the other hand, kept this man in your company for years. Since 2016, he's been doing this nonsense. And as I talk to you right now, Byron, he's still a director. But he's also a director with uh, Adrian Basson from News24 in another company. And because he's one of their, if I can call it one of their, uh, I don't even know what the term to use, one of the cabal members, they do nothing. They're just quietly going to the corner and say, no, it's fine. He's one of us. It happened. Now let's forget about it. We don't have to report to the media. So, you know, when they talk about public interest, these guys, I've become public interest of I don't know what. I'm not a private public company. Uh, I'm in Zimbabwe. They didn't manage to crack me on any charges or any legality or any corruption. They even got people out of a, a country called Bosnia, Herzegovina, to write to me. He wrote to me. I didn't know. I, I I wrote back to this Bosnian people and I said, what, what are you talking about? They talked about our, our lithium asset and whether whether it was appropriate to have it or whether we we were we were misrepresenting to the Chinese partners that we have around it. And I said, who are you and why are you dealing with Zimbabwean affairs from Bosnia? Is your country not rebuilding itself? Like, can you focus on your own stuff? Because I don't understand your questions. They then come across and say, but we're working with Amabungane and we're working with the Sentry. Ah, now I start saying, okay, now there's a whole international conspiracy here now. There's a bunch of these guys that run around. They tag each other and they have shots at you. And that's clearly what's happening to me. But, you know, I'm, I've got a bit of time, Byron. I've sort of taken a back seat and I'm quite enjoying the fight. But it does become quite irritating in the way that we need to deal with it because I'm gang. The media have teamed up against me because Sam has put the media together and said, Mochi versus the media. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's done.
I don't have a problem with the whole media. I have a problem with him and his cronies from the Sentry and from, I don't know, all these Daily Mavericks and all of these type of things. Yeah, I mean, one of the issues with the media, sorry for the change of camera, my camera died, so I'm using this one. Um, one of the problems with the media is um, when they won the court case against you, they're like, oh, media freedom for everyone. It's like, oh, you know, it's still up in the air. It's a gray area where the stolen items are worth sort of in the public interest. I know there's a, quite a debate. I spoke to the journalists about this, whether there's a, I think it's section 205 of the Criminal Procedures Act, which says you're not allowed to use evidence, something which is stolen. And then I think the journos wanted an exception to that. And apparently the judge agreed with them in terms of your case. Yeah. So Zidade, thank you for your time. I just have one last question, really. I think you've answered sure. everything we wanted to know. Your 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 view on, on South Africa, the SADC regions, you have your businesses here. <clears throat> I assume you make quite a lot of money to pay back 10 billion rand to Investec, so kudos. What are your views here? Well, are you staying here? Is it a place worth living in? Are your children going to grow up here prosperously? Now, what, what are your views on, on that paradigm? Roman, I love South Africa, I promise you, because I like the lifestyle here. I like the people. I like the climate. I was in the UK about a week ago. I mean, everything's so bloody expensive there. Even if you say too many words, they charge you more money. You know, you can't yeah, buy a we, we pizza. Say that, we say that all the time and no one believes us. We get told that right. we're full of shit and don't know what we're talking about. I'm telling you, in the UK, I went to eat some burgers the other day with my sons. It was six grand. I was looking for the gold that was left on the burgers because I couldn't believe it was 6,000 rand. But be it as it may, I love stuff. Well, Sorry? My favorite, my favorite example is like four lamb chops. Like we South Africans, we eat a lot of lamb, yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah. just, just like an sure. idea day. Yeah. You, you go, you go from, you go from teat milk to lamb. It's just normal, yes. right? Okay. So it's like four small or lamb chops that look like they're from a lamb that basically is a starving child in England. It's a really anorexic <laughs> lamb and you're talking yeah. like nearly 250 rand or four. Yeah. Look, like, that's a good that's deal. Crazy, man. man. No, that's a good, I went in uh, just off uh, Oxford Road to a place, it was called Burger, Burgeri, like an Arab uh, Islamic place. And I I was there with eight people, including my, my three sons, and we had burgers and chips, and that was it, and it was 6,800. So I was waiting for them to bring us the gold nuggets for desserts. <laughs> Couldn't understand what's going on. But I love the country. I think we have all the ingredients to be successful. I really and truly do. I think there must be transformation around the media and the ability for them to act fairly. I think that it's not okay for South Africans to feel that their constitutional rights are impoverished or, or less than a journalist. I think no one gave the right to journalists to do what they're doing. Uh, I don't have a problem with all the journalists. I have a problem with people that feel that they're above the law. And Amabungane has put me in a position where I have to decide uh, as a person and where our company is, Mochi Group, where Dondo is running it, has to decide whether their rights are more important than an individual's rights to privacy, uh, whether their rights uh, are more important in terms of theft or the criminal procedure or the criminal law. It can never be that I steal something and because I hand it to a journalist, I'm safe. Then... There's no consequence because the journalist has it. It's ridiculous. Uh, in addition, when you look at what guys like Amabugani are trying to achieve, they write, they create damage based on their perception. They have a judge and jury system that's operated within their own cabal. 
There's this institution that runs this uh, ombudsman type of thing where all of them are members to decide whether they're right or wrong. It's so, uh, it's narcissistic. They decide if they're right or wrong and they they make you wrong in the media. There's no damages thereafter. What can you get? 50 grand. The guy may have cost, cost me a couple of billion rands dealing with reputational risk. Everybody looks at me and thinks, look at that guy. He's involved with the Zimbabwean president. Stay away from him now. I'm just giving you a perception of people that don't know us. Now, deals don't come to you. Our case, I've launched an attack of them in return. I've st started a social media campaign, which has cost me a lot of money and will cost me a lot of money because I do believe the future of journalism and the future of advertising is not going to be in the current format that we see it today. It's going to be more social media driven, blog driven, like what you're doing at the moment. People getting onto social media and getting a quick rundown of an article within 30 seconds. No one's done that. You go to News24, you don't want to bloody waste half an hour reading 30 pages of nonsense. You want to click a button and it gives you the top points that they've made. Uh, social media is quick, interactive. People are lazy. The youth are a lot lazier than the older guys like me. They want quick answers. They want to hear things fast. They want to move on. They don't want to be subscribing to News24 forever. They want different ways of accessing uh, 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 information and so on. So my social media has been fantastic. I've hit about 40 million people in 12 months in terms of my, my reach. Um, I do believe that I can get my position across that way uh, without anybody sort of interfering with it, you know, or, yeah. or taking it out of context, you know. There's no excuse so, these I, days, sorry to interrupt, there's no excuse these days yeah. to, to take News24 or any mainstream media at face value. With the internet open to everyone, you can create your own media brand. Absolutely. You can, you can unfold it. And, and you have done so on your own. But they channel, know that. Which is linked Roman, to the way. Buddy, they know that. They know that they can't write of three billion at NASPERS because it's it, it's a white elephant. So they've got to continue with this rubbish. They can't move with the times. The times are going to be AI form of technology that analyzes every article and you click on it and you say, tell me about this thing. And there you go. It'll give you an answer, whether you believe it or not. It may be objective or not, but shit, they have a lot less subjectivity than some of the uh, the guys running around from Mabungane. So look, I, I mean, I'm Mabungane, just to close up uh, on these issues, I've made them famous, I think, and they deserve to be infamous. I think the public are starting to understand who they really are. I think there's a narrative out there where they're also understanding that they are guns for hire in the media, that their narratives are for sale. And they, they sell to a highest bidder is my personal opinion on this. Uh, I'm yet to be proven wrong on it. And and I also think that they they don't write about stuff. So certain things which annoy me, like they haven't written a lot about this guy from Stellenbosch from Steinhoff. Why? Maybe I don't understand. They haven't written about ABB. Funded. Yes. So they haven't so written just, about a lot of guys. Sorry. Yeah. So we've we've raised this on a number of occasions, but yeah, I mean I. I think we we probably asked uh, the majority of the questions, and so just to just to recap for our own audience, so the reason this whole podcast was important is you've obviously been in the the news recently as part of Motti Group. We know that you had a uh, lithium mine in Zimbabwe, which is worth one point, which was worth one billion dollars. Um, the Chinese were obviously involved in it. A hit campaign came about against you. The hit campaign meant that the media slandered you and the Chinese yeah. obviously cut their stake in your your business. Um, the idea there obviously being the reason they did that is because obviously there's a potential 
banned that Zimbabwe were trying to stop lithium ore going out their country, but you had applied to get an exemption and they're saying, well, you might get this exemption because of your connection to the Zimbabwean president. So I think that's basically what this is all about. And as you've gone through in the podcast, Byron, it's like, you're a dangerous man, Byron, because you're a good reader. Obviously, you're not using AI tech there. You're reading all the actual documents. Fantastic. But I must just tell you, that's sort of what happened. But, you know, I always believe when things happen, it happens for the best. Now that they reduced their stake only to 10% from 70 from the billion dollars they were supposed to put in, we've had maybe about eight or nine people that have come to offer us more money for it. Because yeah, the, the landscape the has changed. Would have only, the Chinese would have only done that because they are worried themselves of American retaliation. I mean, the Chinese and the Americans at the moment are a little bit like... I so the, the Chinese, as you know, are very anti, anti-bad publicity. They, they, they don't like it. Um, they like yes. their name being kind of clear just because of where they are at the moment. Sure. But we thank you very much for, for joining us and obviously telling us thank about you. your experience with the media. Um, sure. Your experience mirrors what we have. We know that we see a lot of uh, hit pieces raised. Uh, one was raised against us, us this morning because we dared to challenge the narrative. You know, and it's, sure. it's, it's South Africa and Zimbabwe, they great places that unfortunately are greatly hindered by we may say this and everyone goes, ah, conspiracy theories, but there are a lot of Western forces here trying to use these Southern Africa as a whole as a laboratory for failed experiments. It's a, it's a fact. All you got to do is look and you'll notice it. It's not for us to say that the, you know, ZANU-PF and the ANC are the best co- governments in the country, that we don't believe that in, in, at all. But they're not as bad as they get portrayed too. I mean, there's good and bad in everything, right? I mean, that's not good. You can't just look. Let me give you a closing an invitation, Byron, into your partner. When you're ready to come to Zimbabwe, let me take you there. Let me show you what it is about. You make up your mind. Most of these people that write articles have never set their foot in Zimbabwe. They think there's lions and tigers and things running around in the streets, so they have no clue as to what's going on. But when you're ready, let me take you to Zimbabwe. Let's go and meet some of the people in Zimbabwe, and then you make up your mind, you know. But thank you very so much we, for the intervention. So we, we have the same problem with South Africa. I mean, Ramon and I commented the other day about some British. They were basically commenting on the land issue in South Africa. And you're like, you guys have never been here. It was your ancestors that caused the shit here in the first place, and you were wanting to sit here and kind of pass comment. Like, just stay home, man. Like, just yeah. worry about your Mind life. your business. Let's get on with the game. 100%. One thing you could do to help us, I think Ramon will agree, is uh, we have actually in the past tried to reach out to President Mugabe to get an interview, and he just ignores us. So, <laughs> and obviously, two white guys from South Africa, I'd also ignore them. So, but if you can, hey, an interview with the guy, that'd be great. Look, I think we had a, a dinner two nights ago. I think people like you should be coming to Zimbabwe and meeting the Minister for Publication. You should be having access to that person as well as the relevant ministers you want to meet. I'm going to dig deep quickly today. I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to make sure that an opportunity exists for you to get their version of the story so that you're not in the dark. Uh, At least be empowered by what you see and what you can feel, and I'll try and do that for you. Uh, You can come with me, or you can go on your own and meet these people and uh, be a part of that discussion. I think it's important. I like the idea. Zanet, very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, Roma's been keeping you right. In the street of Harare, I would be more inclined to go, but it's fine. Uh, meeting a minister is good. No, enough. you can go to, by Roman. You can go to France. I saw some lions running around the week. That's, that's good. Then that's different. That thanks. We're that not thanks. all the same, Zuneid. We're not all the same. But anyway, bless you guys. I hope that you 
Pleasure. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks.